0: Live. You want to know something weird? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's weird. Here's where we're going. Here's how we're going to start this week's show. When I go in to edit the audio for these episodes, the first like 15 seconds are absurdly loud. And I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know if it's StreamYard. I don't know if like right out of the gate, we're all just like right in the microphone or if we're all super hyped to be here. But it's like the first fifteen seconds, my audio, my sound waves are like peaked, and then everything levels out.
1: Really now that you've now that you've said something, I noticed it. Did you? It's not just in the replay; I noticed it now. Also, the intro song was sped up for like the first few seconds.
2: Yeah, sometimes yeah, that sounds weird. It like yeah. jumps weird and stuff. Yeah,
1: I don't. I think it's Streamyard.
0: I'm just gonna go ahead and blame, I'm gonna blame it all entirely <laughs> on Dream Yard. But welcome everybody to this week's CASA Live. We are here, uh, we are live. In fact, we are actually live. I don't wanna spend too long on hey, how are you's? but uh, hey, how are you, you guys? How's it going, Alex, Kristen?
1: Doing good, and and I will just also share with the folks who were not in the pre-show, which is everybody watching, um, we have <laughs> okay. decided Sweet. We have decided that that my personal grooming and hygiene is the barometer for how we're doing in COVID, and so yeah, I,
0: I told Alex that now he looks all clean cut. The pandemic yeah. must be over.
1: We're apparently doing better. <laughs> yeah. Little known yeah. fact: little known fact, CDC bases their guidance on my the length of my hair. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you guys will know, if Alex starts to grow it back out, everybody mask up, we're back in the weeds, Uh-oh. it's getting rough, you know. But as long as the hair stays short, we're all good to go.
1: Give it another pretty, six yeah. months and some more depressing news and you all are screwed.
2: Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Kristen, how are you doing? this
2: week? Um, Well, I miss a lot of the pre-show because I was having computer issues, but uh, I know we were talking about the weather, which we tend to do on this show a lot. I don't know why, but uh, Alex was talking about the, the big pileup. Um, and what was that? Was it in Philly?
1: Pennsylvania. No, it's near Harrisburg.
2: Harrisburg. Okay. I-81. I- yeah. And i had seen that. And uh, we had this horrific ice storm. I don't know what you would call it, where it was bringing down trees and fences and you go outside mm. and there was just icicles hanging from wires and my whole back porch and back driveway was just a skating rink I mean it was my poor dogs were like their paws were sliding oh, out like man. And, yeah. stuff. and now it's all melted and it's like think you know, we got to yeah. dump the snow last week and
1: yeah. just,
2: it, winter's holding on it just doesn't want to let go but they say yeah. what they said March is like in like a lion and out like a lamb or whatever they say yeah oh so now we had we're a little, little bit of spring and then it
0: was it was April Fool's after that <laughs> right. but, uh, it's good to see everybody out here in chat as well I'm gonna Every time, man, Dart Frog Paul. Good to see it. I always like in my 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 listdexic brain is like dog fart Paul, but it's not, <laughs> it's dart frog paul. Skip is in chat, Breeze Tones, Adrian, Daniel Mallory, Gates is here, Earn. uh, the wee baby Seamus. in uh, the Yoha community. We refer to him as Sea So Yoha Sea uh, Sarah is here. <laughs> Yes. Lots of folks here. Mark Mark? Slitz is here. Yes. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. So uh, this week, we do have a special guest, which we'll be bringing on in just a a moment here. We have Michelle Mitten with us this week. We're going to be talking about the the all great and powerful FDA. uh, And uh, at the end of the hour, we will have uh, some legislation from Alex uh, we try to postpone that until the end when we have guests on, uh, yeah. Michelle will be welcome to hang out for legislation if she chooses to, otherwise, you know, she can get out of here for that, that, that boring. Yeah. stuff.
2: I enjoy the rest of her weekend. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, um, I guess if everybody here is ready, then we can, uh, we can roll that beautiful bean footage and get our, <laughs> our guest in here. What do you say?
2: Go for it. Do Go the thing. It. Do the, do thing. the All thing. Right, Let's do the
0: thing. Michelle Minton, everybody. Hi, Ron. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week.
3: Yeah, happy to be here.
0: We will reserve the final. Hey, how are you? For you. Hey, how are you? Hey,
3: how are <laughs> you, everyone? It's nice to hear. Uh, Logan, are you from uh, Pennsylvania? Is
0: no, right? no, Western oh, okay. New York.
3: Oh, okay, I was going to say it's nice to hear my last name pronounced the way I like the way I pronounce it. Most people pronounce it Minton. Which is correct, totally fine. But but it's you know, where I grew up It was mint. Like, yeah. There's just like it's like one M to the T to the to the kind. Yeah.
0: Of yeah. Min. Yeah. <laughs> it's also you I? again. Um, I don't even know if you remember this or not, but there might be some people here who do remember my old podcast. This is before I ever joined Kasai. I used to do a podcast, uh, which I think every Kasai member was on at some point or another called Rise and Vape. But Michelle was the first person that I ever interviewed for that podcast.
2: Wow. Years good score.
0: Yeah. And we talked wow. a lot about our good friend Bloomberg at
2: the time. Ooh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great time. Great time. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're still talking about the guy. <sighs> it never ends, does it?
2: Mark says uh, my favorite Google search, Google search is Firmish Tompton. <laughs> <laughs> I will say
3: with these billionaires, you know, it does end at some point. I've have- had and I used to write about um, internet gambling a lot and sports gambling. And the big part mm-hmm. there was between like little groups like where I work and Sheldon Adelson, who's one of the richest billionaires in the world at the time. And that issue we won functionally internet gambling became a legalized industry. And, you know, it was late in his life and he just kind of backed away from it for the most part. So like, and now I haven't really thought too much about that issue in a long time, because it's just an industry that's going, it's moving, it's growing. It's So, you know, there there can be an end, even when you have a billionaire involved. Wow. <laughs> it's, well, it's just,
1: well, interestingly, that that the the Internet gambling was um, uh, one of the things that, that actually brought me, got me more active in uh, Casa, not because I was doing Internet gambling, but um, one of the people, one of the first things I started doing was the fight for your right to vape daily action plan on the weekends, which was promoted by um, a guy, uh, Matt. Why am I drawing a blank on his last name? I'm horrible at, at names. I apologize, Matt, um, and it'll come to me eventually. But Matt was, uh, I think he was like the chair of the Texas Poker Players Alliance.
2: Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. so he, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He,
1: he was the one that brought a lot of the advocacy tools to Casa. Back in 2013, 2014. So, yeah, that, that was
3: another really consumer driven, like, uh, policy movement because there were so many poker players who were making their careers and their livings, at least in part or in full, off of internet gambling. And then all of a sudden, you had the government coming in saying, We're going to shut it down, and random people saying it's evil and it's attracting children to lose their livelihoods. It was a lot of similar arguments being made, but but mm. they they won. We, we won on that issue. It's over now.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what, it is just nice to start one of these out with lots of optimism. So thank you for that. We can defeat billionaires, you guys, we can, in (laughs) fact, defeat billionaires
2: won't always get what they want.
0: Yeah, well,
3: that's a good
2: segue, though, into so how did you go from that into vaping? Was it just a natural thing? No, it was I like, so
3: so when I first got to DC in 2007, you know, I was in my early 20s and a lot of the people I was working with in the, the libertarian circle in DC were in around the same age group. I was shocked at the number of smokers. I was shocked. I was like I thought this was a thing that was over. And within like right before I started writing about the issue, almost all of them switched over to vaping. One device or another and they all kind of, you know, switched around to different devices over the years. Uh, and then I started hearing, you know, these public health groups coming up and saying, this is, you know, the devil. And all of a sudden the government talking about banning them. And I was like, I've watched too many of my friends completely quit, quit, completely quit smoking this way. So that's what got me into it. And I'd been a smoker when I was in college, pretty, pretty light smoker, but you know, once you quit, it's still there always kind of, you know, you're like, Oh, I'll bomb a cigarette off someone here or there. And, you know, then I tried vaping and I'm like, Oh, I'll never smoke again. Like if I ever have the urge, I will just use a vaporizer instead of going to cigarettes. So as soon as I realize that, I've never even thought about having a cigarette ever again. Oh, I do. St- I guess I still have dreams every once in a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, every now and again, I'm like, man. Like, if you see somebody, if you're out drinking and somebody goes out to smoke, I haven't had one in close to five years. But every now and again, you get that little itch.
3: Yeah.
2: And
0: you just like you just vape through it. <laughs> you're just like it's fine.
2: I'm weird that I still like the smell of cigarette smoke. I mean to me it's like fireplace smoke or my dad's pipe smoke or i mean i'm not talking about that stale smell on people's clothes i'm talking about just sort of fresh it's like it's just like smelling a wood fire to me it still smells good now i I did try tasting one maybe a year after i quit so this would have been back in 2010 or 2011 um and not the taste just the smell (laughs) it's not the taste
0: i do actually i mean i still have the occasional cigar the celebratory cigar for well, those never
2: smell good to me but um <laughs> but
0: uh, yeah I haven't, I haven't had a cigarette in close to five years but uh the, in the realm of you know tobacco products cigars and, and cigarettes are two different uh two different animals
2: well that's fascinating that you you were you were just sort of thrown in the deep end, Michelle, that you had so many people around you. Because that's that's one of the things that Casal was working towards was the more people who vape, the more people would who don't smoke or vape would know somebody who vapes. And hopefully that would make a difference in, in policy and such. And I remember when you first started coming out and writing about it, I thought, whoa, you know, she she's just coming out punching. And so I guess like, you had a lot of experience with it because all that sounded familiar to you, right? It's like with all the gambling stuff, it's like, oh, here we go again. It's just a different... Vice, I guess you could call it.
3: Oh, and uh, and it's all a lot of the same people, the same universities, the same mechanism, the same government. Really? Um, yeah, impo- it's because the you know it's cyclical. It's moral. It, all of this stuff has been around. It's part of human. It's just part of human culture that you have somebody likes something and somebody else wants to control it for financial gain, and then they will work with people who want to control it for more for moral reasons or or just control. Sometimes it, it right. doesn't have anything to do with morality. It's just literally about power and control
2: wow and that's frustrating that's hard to fight and then they give that power to the fda and then we get articles like yours that just went you know i think everybody should read that one about the the new commissioner fixing um and the links are in the description down below you guys have put them in ahead of time um but yeah it, i mean just the, the one that that the dysfunctional regulation one was the one that said we we need to get michelle on it's been too long you know we waited too long to get her on and then, um, but I did remember the, reading this one earlier in the month, in March, that is, about the, the commissioner saving the agency from itself. And it was just one of those, it, it's like a whistleblower thing. And then, but nobody's talking about it. I mean, mainstream yeah. media, I mean, or even in the vaping community, I mean, they should all be like outraged with some of the, not outside of the vaping community should be outraged about some of this stuff. I agree. Yeah, that the, that emanated from me
3: reading. Um, Richard Williams was uh, he worked for the FDA for thirty years, and he's an economist, and he wrote this uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating book because people who leave FDA almost never do what he did, which was talk very frankly about what life was like. But you know, and I was reading this concurrent with Commissioner, former Commissioner Kessler's book, and you know whether how honest he's being or not, he's the commissioner. So people aren't necessarily who work at FDA going to tell him like, oh, we don't have to actually protect anybody. We just need to like stop people from attacking us. So, you know, no one's going to say that to the commissioner. So he just may not have seen what life was really like. But Richard Williams is talking about this sort of stuff where you'd say, like, my job is to do cost benefit analysis on a proposed rule. We, you know, We have this rule. Let's say it's to protect people from foodborne illness in in raw oysters. And Somebody's like, so we have this this big rule that we think is going to protect people. And I've done the analysis. It's going to cost you know X number of dollars to the industry, uh, especially small businesses. And how many illnesses is it going to reduce? Basically zero. And then he'll have someone come back and be like, you need to do it again because we want this rule. And so he's functionally a whistleblower here. And it, but people aren't really paying attention to it, which is shocking to me. And so I was thinking about what, you know, Congress, if you read the book, one of the things Williams gets into is why some of this stuff hasn't been fixed. What are the incentives that allow this culture to continue existing and getting worse, honestly, within the FDA? It's Congress isn't really going to be motivated to fix it right now like it would just require much more embarrassing many more people like williams coming out and talking about what life's like and there seems to be incentives for people to to not do that because almost nobody ever does Uh, but a commissioner a truly ethical and motivated commissioner could do a small things that would start to shift the internal culture of the fda and i think the biggest thing like i said in my in my piece in my uh in my op-ed was The biggest thing he could do is stop protecting fda's reputation and start talking about these problems so like because that's the only way congress doesn't want the commissioner to do that because then they would be forced to take action they want the public to just think everything's hunky-dory everything's working great because they can just pass things off to the fda and say look i did it i you know, the youth vaping problem or whatever, whatever the problem is. Um, But if the commissioner gets up there and testifies and says, you know, we have people who are engaging in malfeasance. We have people who are lying. They are making up numbers. You know, we are putting out regulations that cost money and don't protect the public. Then Congress or the president would maybe be forced to take action on this agency. But right now it's just a mess and they're asking the government for more money to fix the mess. (laughs) It's like that's um, you can't just you can't just cover the the bleeding wound with money. It's not going to (laughs) actually solve the problem.
1: I I mean, so I I mean, I have several questions, but um, you know, one of the things you noted in the article, and I think that was the uh, also um, you know, coming from uh, Richard Williams's book uh, is you know this whole idea of FDA wanting the rule and to expand their, their regulatory scope. I, I, I can imagine, I, I can understand that from like a, a, a company standpoint, you know, uh, Altria, for example, diversifying and getting into food and other things that makes sense. But for a, a government agency, like what's the profit motive there? It's not like they're going to pay their employees anymore or anybody's, you know, the stock is going to benefit or anything like that. So is it, is it just that like base human reptile need for control and power or is there actually some sort of financial incentive there?
3: Well, it's a, little, it's a little column A and column B and it kind of depends on who you're talking about. So they all have their, you know, the commissioner has completely different incentives than, you know, a Richard Williams economist type person or a lower level manager even. and And a lot of it, it's not necessarily greed. You know, it's not like I want to be powerful or anything like that. Some of it is. We have a budget and within this budget supports these projects and these employees. And we want to make, you know, each agency competes with the other agencies for their piece of the budget. They they go to Congress, they say, you know, we, usually we all think of it just staying the same or going up, but sometimes the budgets go down. And when that happens, you have to take money away from projects or lay people off. And if you're a manager or whatever, you don't want to do that. You know, you don't want to see your projects go under, you have to lay off people. So some of that is just, Normal, not necessarily, you know, unethical kind of drive to just keep keep what you have. But a lot of it is, you know, we need to, we want more money because, and I think a lot of it is this, um, the the uh, what is it? The ends justify the means kind of thinking, where well, we get this power and we're we're so good, we're so you know, our intentions are so good that if we have the power, we'll eventually be able to do really good things if we get it. So like when Commissioner Kessler started to. You know, when he finally decided that the FDA was going to take over tobacco, he he literally said this in his book. We had no idea what our goal was. We had no idea what the goal was by having FDA take over tobacco regulation. But we did it anyway. (laughs) It's like, And because they fully believed in their goodness and rightness. uh, And they just, you know, a lot of times you'll see this with CDC, they'll go up to Congress and they'll say, this is just a huge problem. The CDC can work on it, but we need more resources to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I think this is part of the problem with the pandemic. Whereas you see FDA now and CDC and NIH saying, we need more money for preparedness, to, to get prepared for the next one. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't use the money you had before to prepare for it because they were going to Congress saying, well, we have this obesity epidemic or this vaping epidemic or whatever it is, because that's how they were getting money. This thing of, and smokers know this, that you know, especially people who are clinicians who are trying to help smokers quit, this idea of if you don't quit, You're going to get lung cancer or heart disease, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now is really not very motivating for someone when they say, yeah, but I can just have a cigarette tonight. And uh, that feels good. And then I'll quit tomorrow. And that's kind of what it happens with agencies go to Congress and they say, like, well, a random pandemic could happen maybe sometime in the next 50 years. And Congress is like, yeah, OK, well, but this other guy's talking about China and nukes so maybe we'll give the money there so instead they go up and they say we have a vaping epidemic kids are dying in the streets because you know, that's that gets people more concerned and more willing to loosen up their purse strings and so you know over the last few decades all of our health agencies from you know from local states up all the way up to the world health organization have been focusing on what they think people care about and not necessarily what we should really
2: be paying attention to to be prepared for big things yeah that makes sense. And it, uh, I would say that uh, research and academics do the same thing. They, if, if, As long as there's some kind of emergency, we're going to study this, so give us some money to study this, you know? So vaping, you know, is emergency, right? I just right. saw this with a study. A few studies have come out saying, you know, talking about how, oh,
3: we're, you know, everybody thought that light to moderate alcohol consumption was good for your heart, and we're going back and rechecking all that, and it's not good. And you're like, why are you – what? Look, like, look, science is wonderful and figuring out all the particulars of risks at all different levels is, is great. Go for it. But there's such an intense focus now on this when when you're what we're talking about is the difference between zero risk and maybe like one percent risk. Why are you so focused on this instead of heavy drinkers, binge drinkers, people who get drunk and drive all of these more important things? And it's because There's money out there. There's grant money out there to study this stuff in particular because people, not necessarily Bloomberg himself, but people like Bloomberg have for a very long time uh, wanted to get rid of this idea that there were any benefits to drinking because it was, it Mm -hmm. it remains one of the, not just alcohol industry, but people like to drink the biggest rhetorical hurdle to saying, well, you know, it's just all bad. Drinking is all bad. We can tax it. We can ban it. We can restrict it, all this stuff, but, but feel like, yeah, but, but it's good for your heart. And so like the researchers and the activists who hate alcohol and hate the alcohol industry really run up into, into that rhetorical issue. And so they've been trying to uh, they've been trying to bust that myth, the myth of alcohol having any health benefits whatsoever, at, at light and moderate r-
2: levels of drinking. Now, it seems like anything with, with human health is, so hard to figure out what's right. I mean, look at just going from dietary stuff, you know, back and forth with eggs are good, eggs are bad, fat, saturated fat is bad. Now it's good. Now it's bad again, but not that kind of saturated fat, this kind of saturated fat, but we're not really sure. Sugar's just fine. It doesn't make you fat. Now sugar makes you fat. I mean, it's such an imperfect science that you really can't believe anything that what comes out and especially when it's based on epidemiology or cross-sectional research and stuff. And you do a lot of research as far as studying how these policies work, right? And and I'm actually, you know, I have a master's degree in nutrition, so I've
3: seen Oh, do you? Okay. People don't understand how nascent of a science nutrition actually is, how little we do understand about it, how much is known. And yet I I see a study coming out and then everyone's saying, well, It solves the problem. We now know alcohol is, right. or alcohol is bad. You're like, no, man, you can't one study. Uh, we yeah, know very funny. little about how the body works. Honestly, we know very mm-hmm. little about how specific nutritional elements work, but I would say most things in life with regard to nutrition are U-shaped curve. You know, if you don't have any, you're at a higher risk and then your risks go down as you have more. And then if you really start to overdo it with the thing, your risks go back up. U-shaped curve is pretty common for almost every nutritional Element that you can put into your body. It's just like good, 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 good. You know, like so you have none. Not good, 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 better, better, worse, 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 worse. Right? Like sugar, fat, cholesterol, whatever it is. But I was just
0: gonna say salt. Like so- salt is something like we all need, but everybody's like you got you can't have to don't have salt. Leave salt have- That's Social
2: changed salt. now too. They changed the standards on that too. That only some people have to worry about their salt. You know, I mean it's, <laughs> it's finally good. Yeah, the salt is one of the most misunderstood
3: of all of the, you know, all of the nutrients, I think, because it is absolutely essential.
0: Right, it. exactly. It's, it's
3: like, besides oxygen and water, I think it's like one of the most essential nutrients for... Or I mean, I it, was, it was so it was so essential, but
0: it was currency for us at one point.
3: Wars have been fought over it. Was yeah. Current. Yeah, people, uh, soldiers were paid in salt and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's really fundamental. And um, some researchers for decades have been talking about kind of trying to name an instinct like you have thirst and you have hunger and they've been trying to come up with a word for salt hunger, which Hmm. is kind of an instinct almost. So for example, in research, in clinical research, they'll give people a placebo or a a salt pill and then they will have them all eat together and they'll put salt shakers on the table and they've measured how much they normally eat generally, how much salt they normally um, consume. And what they found is that the people who are given the salt pills wouldn't add salt to their food. And the people who, um, uh, reverse it right so like whoever didn't get the salt pill would add salt so that the both of the groups uh, functionally instinctually just adjusted their sodium intake so it's this thing of like yes some people are salt sensitive some people's blood pressure will go up it's usually there's some kind of dysfunction happening in their kidneys or in their body elsewhere they have a genetic predisposition but most of the population doesn't have that and some actually have inverse sensitivity so they if they don't get enough salt, their blood pressure will go up because the body is what it's happening is your body is trying. It uses salt to balance your water and your blood levels and all of this stuff. So that's mm-hmm. what's happening is if you don't have enough, your your your, you know, vessels will constrict sometimes your body's like, we need more blood to pump faster. We need to get this blood clean. So we need to like constrict our vessels. If you, it's, it's very complicated and interesting, but also a very new aspect of science that I just laugh every time I see a headline come out saying,
2: you know, we've solved this problem. We now know this about nutrition. I'm like, you don't know anything. We don't know anything. I'd love to just sit and and pick your brain on that for a while because I, one of the things it's funny because one of the things that vaping got me into was reading research and having to learn how to read stuff and what, what, you know, a cross-sectional study means and what, um, you know, longitude study, it, all, how, all these things, you know, wow. epidemiology versus clinical versus all that other stuff. And um, after a few years of quitting smoking, I had decided after my mom passed away that I wanted to lose weight and I ended up going on low carb. And yeah. of course, when you do low carb keto, everybody's like, that's so dangerous, it's deadly, fat is bad for you. And so I did a whole deep dive into research or into um, nutrition and uh found out it's there's a very close parallel to what's going on in vaping and the claims made about vaping and then the claims made about certain diets about this is the perfect diet, that's the perfect diet. Meat causes this and fat causes that. And you look at how many times they're cross sectional, longitudinal. I mean, they're just they're yeah. they're just as vague as what they do for vaping. And it's very interesting to uh and, to see
1: and, that. And there's- there's some crossover there. American Heart Association is bad on both of these issues.
2: Yeah. Just, yeah. And I lost 50 pounds and my cholesterol. I'd never been better when I was on keto. That's awesome. I mean, so it, it's just funny. Yeah, so yep. even some other people are I know a lot of people. We we tend to be kind of big people in the uh smoking and uh vaping community. And so a lot of us, it's funny because I've seen a lot of people getting on uh getting on keto and stuff also with. 'cause has been kind of going around. It's like, oh, now I know this secret. What about the other secrets that nobody's telling me or about? The yeah. FDA, FDA is lying to me about, or whatever. So I guess we tend to be more conspiratory-minded too, because of that, it's ethical, right? It's it's it's
3: distrustful of a thought, right? So it's not just blindly following authorities, which I think is very important because you know, even there are so many fad diets, and some of that, you know, the government advice is based on a lot of just assumptions and and. Science that's pretty shaky, but then you also have these fad diet people who are kind of, and you know, a lot this, a lot of this is like with vaping, like you said, where you have what works for people and then you don't exactly know what the long-term effects might be of a diet like that. But we are also not computers who are like, oh, this is my new, my program is keto. This is what I will do for the rest of my life. You know, you can right. say, well, this worked for me. This helped me lose weight. And now I can exercise and do other things and my cholesterol is great and that's awesome, congratulations. Um, but you know, if like 10 years from now, something starts to go weird, maybe because your body has changed, that does happen, then you can adjust and find something different that works for you and your body at that point in your life. So it's this weird thing about governments. They love black and white. They love just blanket advice. This works for everybody and it doesn't, it never does. <laughs> There's never you, a
2: one size fits all for anything. Yeah, and if you, if you look into how our food pyramid was created and the science that went into it that was basically like okay we're going to ignore all the nutritionists i believe this and this is what congress decided to make our food and that fat was bad and the whole thing with with um, i forget what his name was somebody in the chat reminded me of the guy who decided fat was horrible for us that humans should not eat fat which is fat is an essential Uh, essential macronutrient and he said we shouldn't eat fat we should cut all that off and and just just how government got involved in this and what the FDA does with that, yeah. and what the uh, U.S. probably USDA. Um, what's is that the U.S. USDA? Is that yeah, USDA, USDA? FDA. Yeah. It's a combination. They both. Yeah, do. you know yeah. how yeah. they say what we they should eat like. and stuff, and then you look at that and you go, and we're supposed to believe what they tell us about vaping. And all this other stuff, you know, you see. Yeah, the- I'm sure you're thinking of Ansel Keys. Keys uh,
3: yeah, nope. he's Minnesota. He's, his life is fascinating. He is a fascinating Fascinating person. guy, yeah. Really one of those early advocate researchers that at the time wasn't a thing. And you know, I I'm not as hard on Ansel Keys as other people are when they, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, he was, you know, saying that this nutrition is an early science now is true. But he, back then, you know, what he was working with, he was working with the best information he could and to his credit he actually did go into the fields to study things he wasn't just using a government database and trying to you know mine it for the exact numbers that he wanted to find to prove and he did you know he had a hypothesis based on his observations I think him using you know he used rats a lot mice uh he cherry-picked certain he cherry-picked certain things, things. partially that was because he did he, just the information that he had access to wasn't very good or complete yet. Yeah, right. but but he was also one of those people who um Got a theory, thought he he proved it to himself, and then he was blinded to anything else. And he was very, you know, he was one of those early advocate researchers where he pushed and pushed, and he, you know, he he built relationships with people in government, and he, you know, he convinced people. Kind
2: of reminds me of Stanton Glantz from the nutrition side.
3: Well, except that Ansel Keys was actually a real, you know, scientist. Yeah, good
2: point. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he was an actual scientist who did
3: like field work and and did his his theories came from his observations, not not the reverse, but but once he, you know, and this is, a, this is a danger most scientists who are, you know, honest are aware of is if you ever put out a theory, if you put out a hypothesis and you're making a case for that, you are now biased pretty much for the rest of your career. And you have to recognize that, that you were put on blinders to anything that, that would disprove this hypothesis. You went out there and said, I believe in because it's even
2: Einstein did that, you know, and he he had to be convinced he was wrong on a couple of different things. And everybody,
3: everybody does that because it's embarrassing and it's hard to admit when you're wrong. Although I'm a big proponent of this idea of rewarding people publicly for changing their minds, like when they they have when they have come to change their mind because they were. You know, they, they looked at the evidence, they reinvestigated and they said, oh, I was wrong. I think that's brave and should be rewarded and isn't because I, I partially I want to incentivize people to be able to, to lower the bar to doing that.
2: Yeah. So they can so they can give them give them the the, the out, you know, the path away from that, from having yeah. to be stuck. You know, you look at think of like Scott Gottlieb, you know, I think sometimes he's changed. His, I think he did change his mind and stuff, but he just could not backpedal anymore. He just could not come out and say yeah, I was wrong on this. And yeah. I know it's wrong. And you, you can kind of see sometimes when he tweets and stuff and he says certain things, you're like, you know, he gets it. Yeah. But he, he's just, he, got he, it. he just won't go there. And you think, and I think that might have something to do with what you're saying is this oh, reluctance absolutely. to. Well, I think you know, he, he got caught up in
3: the bureau, the because, you know, and um, um, the new commissioner, what was uh, Caliph he experiences his first time around where, you know, ostensibly has the most p- powerful role in the FDA or uh, in the agency, but he kind of got bullied by the career bureaucrats and got mm-hmm. bullied into, well, I mean, I say bullied, I don't know how it happened, but he, he backed down and he gave deference to career bureaucrats and made some very large mistakes by doing oh, for that, uh, that. the, drug, yeah, by the drug. And, um, you know, I think that might be what happened to uh, to Gottlieb while he was in there, is that, you know, because he came in very fervently in support of harm reduction, specifically tobacco harm reduction, and he backed away from it. And I think it was because he came into a scenario where there was career bureaucrats who had already decided against this and they had you know things in the works already mm. and couldn't step on those toes. But then when he left and in retrospect, probably feels a little bit embarrassed that he didn't stick to his guns. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. I mean, but but giving people a way out is so that's one of the things I think we need to figure out if it's possible if they're interested in vital strategies for example, should be given some way to get out of what they've been doing with tobacco, because now they're super interested in harm reduction when it comes to drugs and the opioid crisis. And they posted an op-ed in the New York Daily News after Guy Bentley called them out in the New York Daily News in his own op-ed saying, you know, this is hypocrisy. And for some reason, they felt compelled to respond to that without obviously without giving any credit to Guy Bentleys <laughs> without adding any attention onto what he wrote.
2: You know, <laughs> of course not. Well, you know,
3: we're, we're pro-harm harm reduction, and that means what we've always been doing functionally. But if they are truly, you know, if there are people at Vital Strategies who truly recognize the folly of their previous behavior, that would be wonderful. Uh, we aren't going to forget what they did. They don't get a pass. They don't get to be leaders of tobacco harm reduction, probably ever, but they should be If they're truly interested, you know, we should welcome them in and say, great, you just you you can't pretend that you didn't do all of those things that you did, all of those people's lives that you affected in India and Thailand and wherever the Philippines
0: yeah yeah and i mean i i was a big fan of that uh that that piece they put out in in the new york times i mean the more you know i'm i'm a massive proponent for drug mm-hmm. harm reduction for people who use drugs yeah. and seeing that is a big deal yeah, you know uh it, it is a huge deal but you're right it, it, there the hypocrisy there runs deep um and there's you know our favorite billionaire uh backing them as well um but
3: yeah, that's so interesting that Bloomberg seems to be supportive of of drugs harm reduction. Which is, I mean, when I saw that come out, I was first of all, I, I've seen this for, I saw this earlier before the New York Times thing, and I was talking to people in the drugs in the drug space saying like, watch out, like if they're trying to take yeah. over, watch out. But it was yeah. it was way too late at that point. By the time I noticed it, that they were already, you know, Vital Strategies started giving out grants and forming alliances and coalitions and all this other stuff. Um, but. You know, part of me was worried, but part of me was also like, this could be huge for drugs, harm reduction, because it's vital strategies. It's Bloomberg, you know, that they have so much weight and so much money and so much influence, as we saw with that, you know, being able to buy a full page ad in the New York Times costs a fortune. Um, So it's like, yes, on this issue, that's wonderful. But it's so strange that Bloomberg is all in on this on this one side of harm reduction. And I mean, I think they get it. But what I imagine they're doing right now is. Trying to work on, their, I, I assume in the next year or two, we will see quite a number of research papers come out uh, talking about how why we should differentiate harm reduction between drugs and harm reduction with tobacco. Tobacco is a totally different space. I'm sure we'll we'll see a lot of. That so so no. I, I here, have a question. No.
1: I have a question specifically about this, and it was because of the things that, that I think you noted in your in your article here about that expanding of the agency's authorities and so i am one of these weird people who can imagine a world perhaps not in our lifetime but um imagine a world where all drugs yes all the drugs are sold on a regulated marketplace we have assurances of safe supply and product quality and so on um age restricted this we can get into marketing restrictions all the nuances fine but all drugs being regulated and sold on on a on a marketplace and my first thought was you know, would something like giving FDA authority over all of those things appease them to some extent? And then it gets into the the sort of, you know, if not FDA, what agency would be appropriate to do this? Do we need to make another agency? And then, of course, the other question is, I guess as we go through like right now, so we're going to get to a point where cannabis is federal federally regulated. We will likely see that in our lifetime. Oh yeah. And so we've of course had our opinions about whether or not anybody wants FDA to do that. Um, But you know, it is, I, I I'm not totally sure what my question is, but I mean, is the expectation that even within FDA, let's just say it all ends up there are all of these, I'm answering my own question. In my head, <laughs> is it really necessary? Is it even efficient? I, it's not efficient. Yeah, no, to have I, I, these drugs siloed off in different centers.
3: Only only if you want, basically, only if you want the pharmaceutical companies to be the only people. I mean, I think it should be treated like foods and alcohol. So what you have is with food, you know, the FDA obviously got into the game of regulating food when food already existed. Um, so what they did, what they did was they they said, you know, if this ingredient has been part of public, has been part of consumption, the patterns of consumption for a hundred years without any known problems. It's just functionally grandfathered in. It's considered gross, so uh, generally recognized as safe. And so if you introduce something new, like let's say you've created some weird new fat in a lab, like a trans fat or something like that to replace butter, then you're gonna have to come to the FDA and prove to us that it's safe, within certain reasonable limits,
2: and then we'll Uh say it's okay or not, huh? What was that? Olia or Ole? Oly- you know Olyn- yeah, is that Olestra? Oly- yeah, Olestra. That, that stuff that, that gave everybody... Uh- Diarrhea. <laughs> diarrhea. i was trying to think of a nice yeah. word but yeah, diarrhea works. It's kind of a, it's a
3: shame that that never really took off because there were so many jokes about that because it really was a fascinating and really groundbreaking um, <laughs> invention. But no, so you know, and with alcohol as well, there's certain things people put in alcohol or like there was a controversy a couple of years ago with the alcohol caffeine combination that mm-hmm. FDA decided to ban, and I think that was a poor scientific decision, um, but you know, it was FDA's decision. So when it comes to drugs, and when I think it comes to vaping, the much more reasonable if you want to have like, look at food, there's such a wide variety of food, and it's wonderful. And it's safe. You know, we have a very safe food system. For the most part, people usually except for here or there, there are foodborne illnesses, you know, some kind of weird bacteria gets into the system. And let me tell you, FDA regulation doesn't do anything about that. The only thing they can do is track it and figure out where it's coming from, which is great, and then inform the public what not to eat at this moment which is also great and that's what they should do Uh, but with vaping and drugs and stuff like this it it would be a much more appropriate um, and cost effective uh, means of regulating the industry uh, of saying these are the safe ingredients like these are the known ingredients that could that we know could be added to these products here are the limits that we've decided are safe If you want to add something new and weird in there, you're going to have to come to us and show us that it is safe. And then we will say, okay, we're adding this to the list of standards of safe things that you can put into these products. And then you have an agency like TTB, which is part of formerly ATF, you know, alcohol, tobacco and firearms. So what TTB primarily does in the alcohol market is people have labels for their beer or whatever, and all of the ingredients that are safe for beer or wine or liquor are known. And they just go to TTB and they say, "Look, we have a new product. We just need a new label. Can you approve it?" And TTB, within literally two weeks, uh, at most maybe two months, will say, "Yeah, sure, go, good for it." And they do this like hundreds of thousands of times a year. They're very good at it wow. uh, because it's because there's already the system in place. Nothing, there isn't anything too wild or new happening in this space. So. You know, um, Representative Mace, who's a Republican from I can't remember which state, she introduced a bill in Congress to legalize cannabis, very similar to some that Democrats have been introducing, you know, expunge records, remove from the schedule, all of this stuff. One of the interesting things that she did was she handed the primary regular authority over cannabis products, the ones that would be sold over state lines, to TTV, which I said, mm-hmm. that is a very novel idea, and I think a very good one, because as we have seen with vaping, the FDA cannot handle; like, they do not have the resources really? to mm-hmm. handle this. Uh, I think at the moment, uh, you can't just right now say, "TTB, you do it," because they would run into the same problem if they were trying to do scientific studies and and have like you know panels figure out what's safe. It should be up to FDA to simply look at the ingredients, the possible range of ingredients, set standards, and then hand it to another agency to deal with the day-to-day applications. Because FDA cannot and should not be engaged in that level of interaction with the industry. They just don't have the capacity to do it. So, so I, I, mean,
1: would no I Would a move like that, I'm, you know, we've all talked about standard-based regulations would really be the way to go here. Um, And so I I imagine, though, that puts FDA in conflict with the Tobacco Control Act. Do they even have the authority to, to sort of reassign it to a new, another agency?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they would have to, so because, you know, Tobacco Control Act gives the FDA regulatory authority over tobacco products, but there's, I, you know, and maybe someone correct me after the fact or later if I'm wrong, but I think there would be no problem with the FDA saying these are the regular, this is how these products will be regulated. And then we are going to now promulgate a rule. I, yeah, I mean, they would sort of be handing off some authority, transferring authority to another agency. So that might run into problems. They might actually need Congress to intervene, but I, I, I would say, yeah, I'm not sh- because TTB is part of ATF you know alcohol tobacco firearms i'm pretty sure there is already some sort of regulatory structure there for fda to hand off some authority for tobacco products to ttb i'm not sure maybe not ttb or another agency within atf um not sure but that that's an interesting question because if that d- would require congressional authority Ooh. we should start working on that right now <laughs>
2: My question on that though, is that they seem to have a zero tolerance on any of the ingredients at this point. Nothing nothing is a hundred percent safe and we don't know if you can inhale. Of course, nobody's trying to find that out. I mean, all they're trying to do is nitpick every little, and that's the problem is they're nitpicking every little thing that they can find in it for being safe for people who have never smoked. And, and are worried that somebody who's never smoked will pick these up and have this teeny tiny risk, like you said, that teeny tiny risk. And then that's that outweighs all of the reduction in risk for the smokers. But by the same token, they completely ignore that that person who has never smoked and picked up that vape, if they didn't have the vape, would likely have picked up a cigarette, yeah. you know, but <laughs> they don't take any of that into account. It's hard. The standards that have been applied to vapor products and to
3: a lesser degree, other tobacco products, other novel tobacco products, they are higher. It's a higher bar than even for pharmaceuticals, right? Mm-hmm. Most pharmaceuticals don't have three, four, five year long trials. They have six month trials, two month trials, one month trials. And then what happens is, you know, the FDA says, well, you've studied it in healthy people, you've studied it in people who aren't healthy. We haven't really seen anything too bad. Now we're going to let you sell it, but we're going to watch later on to see how everything goes. And then if All something right. goes wrong, maybe we'll pull it off the market. I, and I don't understand why. I mean, I, I have my theories about why FDA wouldn't do that for vapor products because they they don't want to approve them. And this is one yeah. of the reasons that even if they had the authority, they would never transfer power. Uh, they would never do the standards-based regulation and transfer the, the monitoring power over to TTV because they don't want to give that up because they don't really want this to be. A market that exists. They want to kill it as much as possible. Although I think at this point they've been well and truly painted into a corner, um, and they've been forced to approve some products, which is which is the end. It's the end. It's over. In my mind, it's not over. Obviously, there's a lot more to fight and a lot more to do. But with the products that have been approved already, um, that there will be consumers, there will be consumers consuming legal like legal products that the FDA has been forced to declare are for the protection of public health. The arguments are now over, that there is no form of safe to that. There's no form of safe consumer nicotine, except for things made by pharmaceutical companies. Um, It's done. And the FDA is going, at this point, it would be far too embarrassing when someone says, if you have said these vapor products are for the protection of public health, here are this million other products that are newer and better and safer. You kind of have to now give them the same consideration and approval.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: But the kids, Michelle.
3: <laughs> oh, those kids, those angelic kids who've never done anything wrong in their lives until Big Bad Favor came along. Yeah,
0: they and and would have never done anything wrong ever if it wasn't for Unicorn Poop E Liquid.
3: I, you know, I just uh, whenever I hear people like at the campaign for tobacco for kids or Pave Mommies talking and all this, I'm like, am I the only person who? still fully remembers what I was like as a kid and like yeah. how I thought and what I wanted to, before I, a decade before I ever smoked, I knew I wanted to smoke. You know, when I was a 13 year old, I was like, I want to do that. And I even looked up, are there safer ways to do this before I spoke? I was like, mm-hmm. what is a safer form of this? And, and I looked into, you know, was it American spirits? Cause they were being sold as more natural. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> bullshit. I, I very, I was like, oh, it's bullshit. They're all basically the same risk. So I said, you know, pardon my French, but, you know, F it. And then I started smoking because, but I did look, I actually did look to see if there was a safer form of this thing that I already knew I wanted to do.
2: Now, what year was that? Would it's you been start? around 2002, 2003, okay. maybe a little later. So, and, and, and what's funny is during that time period, you didn't have a whole lot of flavored cigarettes. They no- started coming out maybe in 2004. 2005 you started seeing those yeah, come the, out. The flavored cigarette smooths and the clove cigarettes were really big that
3: was before that was before
2: i was i think because that was the
3: early 90s and and that was kind mm-hmm. of a flash in the pan when they because they had it and then like within five
2: years they were gone yeah and then- i remember because i used to try the camel smooths because i was because but i didn't they didn't come out until i want. well maybe it was it might have been just before you started smoking maybe late 90s early 2000s and but the thing is is that when i started which was in the 80s they did not exist yeah no. so the whole idea to me that flavors are what get kids and i and i did not smoke menthol either so this whole idea that it's menthol and it's flavors and it's joe camel and now it's netflix you know because <laughs> now they're now they're going after netflix because you know apparently we all started doing drugs because we were netflix and chill um <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they, they, they've they come up with all these crazy ideas for why, and I think I would even tweeted it, you know, in our tweet for Kasai, he even said, um, teens use drugs and alcohol because they're anxious, they're stressed, they're depressed, they have, uh, they're being abused, they have, they have all these, their, their family does it, you know, but. It's not happening in a vacuum, and of all those reasons why, like kids say that they smoke and do drugs and drink alcohol, the government wants to stop Netflix from showing people vaping. You know, I mean, it's, it's so just, silly. Kids could kids no do drugs because, I'm not not you know, there's all of the reasons that you
3: mentioned, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could be yeah. stopped, but also, it's. It is a small measure of control. I, I see this all the time that and people do it with food too. Is the less control someone feels like they have over their life, the more they will try and exercise it in these weird ways over their own body. And so, like, yep. what, what I remember seeing those stories about Cutting, piercing, doors piercing. being taken off, you know, the stall doors and bathrooms being taken off because of vaping. I'm like, that is literally the worst thing you could do because those kids are instantly gonna leave school and start smoking or vaping because they feel the small amount of freedom that they have as young people who are craving more and more autonomy being further restricted they are going to lash out by by the one thing they truly have control over that no one can monitor 100% of the days what they put into their body what they do with their body. So that's where they're going to, that's where they're going to have
2: that rebellion. It's, it's, I think it's, I included rebel in that list, actually. Yeah,
3: no, yeah. It's just autonomy seeking. And when, you know, it's your body is really one of the last bastions of it when everything else in your life is the out of in
2: your control.
3: control. Yes. Yeah, that's I, a really I, good point. I,
1: I even, I mean, that's true even for adults, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, one, of the, one of the earlier uh instances where I kind of realized some of this was um, watching people cross the street, Uh, full grown ass men just taking their damn time. The lights turned, we're all waiting, but this guy perfectly healthy, just
2: sauntering and I thought,
1: yeah, he's taking it back.
2: Yeah, Yeah. That's the control
1: he has over his world right now. And you know, I'm here for it. I mean, it sucks being late, but you know, fine.
2: Mm -hmm. That whole idea that they're going to substitute something else, you know, if you take off that door and stuff, you know, I've often thought that as we've watched uh, smoking rates go down, down, down over the last few decades, we've watched obesity rates go up, 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 and other kind of drug use go up, 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 and I I don't, again, they think they live in this, that we live in this vacuum, that if you just quit smoking, your life would be just perfect. And you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't, and they're, they're, they're literally doing this in their like the truth in their ads about their depression stick thing saying it's, it's the nicotine. That's, that's making you feel this way. So just stop, you know, just stop.
3: Oh, your ADHD <laughs> will go away. Your depression will go away. The fact that your parents are abusive will totally go away. Uh, you'll be just fine. If you, if you, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's honestly sad. I really feel for young people at this point. You know, I, I felt it when I was young because it was right after, you know, the Columbine and nine eleven, And I felt, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I, I already felt like I had so little freedom and now it's all being taken away. And now I look at the kids growing up. And I'm like, good God, I can't imagine how they must feel like how controlled. And now the pandemic, I'm, I'm shocked when the CDC was it or NIH put out the, you know, inter pandemic um, drug numbers, because I was like, I would have expected kids to be but what I feel like I would have been doing, which is busting out of the house, going into the woods, drinking, partying, <laughs> doing whatever, because you would feel so um, claustrophobic with just. Uh, I cannot imagine just being with my parents
2: for two years. <laughs> and they have could have just, done. and they could have been doing that and just not admitting it, because if you listen to our Twitter space with, uh, yeah. with Dr. Vadu, have... you know we have this weird stat in the last teen thing talking about how all of them were how many were using the heat not burn Alex That's like over three
1: hundred thousand or something I mean, like
2: know, that. Also, it's, it's like an impossible number so, so clearly these kids were just like yeah whatever <laughs> I would love to see this is what I would love to see a study
3: on because you know when when we do surveys in research they're usually validated in some way we're like this is the standard this is how we do it and it's this is how we know approximately how many people are honest and answering the questions you know to the best of their ability but those the those validation studies are used for decades and you're like okay so those were done these these surveys were designed pre-internet when kids didn't pay attention to news stories about what kids drug like what kids drug using behaviors were. So now we have these kids are on Twitter, they're on Snapchat, they're on, you know, TikTok, and they're looking at these news stories about their vaping, their drinking, their cannabis use. And I wonder if that's legitimately having an effect on how they answer or choose not to answer the survey questions. I, I have no leave. idea what the
2: answer is. I've had teens. My teenage daughter told me that at least half the people in her school were gay. So, I mean, but because she's on Twitter and it's a lot more, you know, and she was convinced of this, you know, and it is, it's sort of I remember being a teenager myself and telling mom, everybody's going on this trip to Florida. Everybody is or or everybody's got a, their own car. You know, I mean, yeah. teens, they just and then you've got the the truth initiative and, the, and flavor hooks, kids and all that, putting all these ads out saying your friends are all vaping in the bathroom and there's these great flavors that. You know, teens all love. I mean, they're the biggest advertiser to I teens of, of anybody. Did you see that ma- the main, the the ma- I, I think I tweeted about it. the main uh, communications director for Flavor Hooks Kids Maine came out and said, because they're trying to do a flavor ban. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, he just came up with this whole thing about how flavors all make kids vape, and that, you know, well, I feel bad for smokers, but they should just quit oh that's lovely very great advice Uh, why why didn't we think of that oh my god all these years you know it's it's always confused me that when it comes to teens it's this horrible lifelong addiction that's going to affect them for their lives and they're never going to get over it and for adults well you should just quit i truly can't wait it's we're (laughs) we're about five
3: years away now from the kids so because you know the vaping panic has been going on i guess since 2015-ish, we're a few years away from the kids who were in middle school when it first started, the panic, being in their homes. And um, I cannot wait to hear from them about how they feel. Because I remember when I was in college, Thinking back on my DARE days, my days in the Uh DARE program, and being like, what a crock of shit that was. Okay. So, I mean, that that just informed me about a whole world of drugs. I didn't know what peace was. Right. Everybody says that. I'd never heard the phrase angel dust before the cop came in with a little chart filled with drugs to show you exactly what they look like. So, I cannot wait to hear from these kids who are now going to be adults very soon, looking back on the the truth and the campaign for tobacco-free kids stuff, we're already seeing some of it. I see some kids on YouTube laughing at the Truth mm-hmm. Initiative and the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids advertisements, but um, yeah, I can't wait to see what they think about it. Just being like, yeah, I totally did vape when I was in middle school and high school. I, I hit that jewel all the time. I was Juuling up and down, and then I just didn't. And I'm
2: not addicted. At, I'm not addicted to
3: nicotine, and I don't smoke.
2: So there well, we a see like- that we see that in the rates of the 18 and 24 year olds right now who were in high school, you know, four years ago. And those rates just plummet. So clearly all this vaping when they were in high school didn't create a new addition, you know, a new generation of addicts. It's a fad, it's a fad. And when they go to college and they have no money, it'll end. (laughs)
3: they can't afford jewels anymore or whatever, (laughs) you know, they'll be like, eh, I think maybe now that I'm 21, I'll probably just try drinking for a while and smoking weed. And then they'll be like, oh, I, because you know this. I've noticed this happening in, in D.C. Weed is decriminalized; it isn't technically legal because the federal government keeps preventing the government from using its money to regulate cannabis. So we have mm-hmm. gift shops. You buy um, a good wishes or a poem, and then you, you know, for $200, 300 dollars, then you, uh, you put weed as a gift. <laughs> um, but so you know, I, I've noticed this that people, people who start using cannabis. Or when they're using cannabis, won't drink so much or won't vape so much or won't smoke so much, whatever it is they're doing. So it's substitution. So I, I imagine a lot of the youth vapers, as soon as they hit 21, and are like, oh, yeah, I can actually get high and I can actually get drunk now. I don't need this other thing that I was using, this like much more milder form of, uh, you know, chemical shift. I can actually have a way better one now. So forget vaping. <laughs> What yeah, it, did you, you, know, say you like oh,
0: One of the things with truth you don't see much of anymore that I saw for a while were they were running these campaigns where they were interviewing uh, like students, high schoolers or freshmen in college or whatever about vaping. And they would tell their stories, you know, I couldn't get out of bed without vaping, without hitting my jewel. I couldn't do anything without hitting my I was hitting it all day in class. What? And then, you know, at the end of their interview, they're like, so I finally just stopped.
3: Yeah. amazing.
0: I just quit. And I think at some point, truth was like, maybe we're sending the wrong message because they just kind of stopped that campaign of these Mm -hmm. interviewing these kids who all just miraculously quit because they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot. On one hand, they're saying this is the most (laughs) addictive chemical in the world, the entire generation. But then the other time they're actually showing on TV, all these kids who just yeah. They just stopped. Yeah. You I, know, saw, I mean, I saw
3: in the chat, someone asked about federal cannabis legalization urn. Yeah. Um It just last week, the house passed a bill called the more act and that had already been passed. It Um. it's probably not going to go anywhere in the Senate. This is what happened before the last time. I think it was 2020, it was passed in the house or 2021. And it got more votes from Republicans then than it did this time around. Hmm. It's just, it's overloaded with, you know, very well-meaning stuff, right? So it's got the, you know, decriminalize the federal level, expunge records. um but it has also like a very large tax rate of five percent going up to eight percent after uh, three years. And it has programs for you know um, small minority owned businesses, all this like stuff that you know a lot of people who are on the left side of politics love, but the people who are on the right side hate. And so they it is so overloaded with the stuff that people that Republicans hate that they can't vote for it. They feel like they can't vote for it because it's too much pork and all this other stuff. Even hmm. though very yeah. many, a decent number of Republicans now want to decriminalize cannabis and want to expunge records, which is awesome. But so Democrats really need to just introduce a bill that does that. That's that. Instead of, you know, it
2: with
0: right. stuff. Get that in, get it done, and then build on it but, from but there. But
3: they don't want to do that because then, you know. I, 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 this is kind of a conspiracy theory, but I think that Democrats don't want this issue to go away for them because it is such a voter turnout thing. And if they are the ones who want to legalize cannabis, So you have to, this is why we need to take Senate. This is why we need to take the House and the White House. We need to have full control. Then we will give you cannabis. Um, but but I also think they truly do want to have all of that good, all of the stuff, you know, all the things for minority-owned businesses and people who've been harmed by the war on drugs. They really truly do want that. And they worry that if they just pass a cleaner bill, a decrim bill and an ex- records expungement bill, they'll never get that other stuff in a, in a standalone kind of way. So it's a little bit of both, I think. But but it's just, you're, unless, unless something happens to this country and a lot more people become Democrats, I just don't think they're going to get everything they want in this one bill. And in the meantime, there are people still going to jail. There are people still, you know, having their armored trucks robbed by sheriffs, mm-hmm um, from legal cannabis businesses. So
2: like all of this is still happening in the meantime. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: You said the FDA doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't in your article, you were talking about how, I don't know what you put it. Like they essentially don't want to look bad. They, they don't want to right? Um, but don't they stop and think that if they're hiding all this stuff, it's going to eventually come out and they're going to look really bad, you know? Cause I mean, eventually smoking, if they, if they succeed in completely destroying this, industry and pushing people not letting people vape uh, nicotine eventually people are just going to go back to smoking and it's going to come out in the numbers you know i mean i just don't understand why are they still and also did you happen to come across i forget what his name was david um graham i think it was he was a whistleblower with the fda at one point uh i think back in 2005 or something that he's the one who came out and said that uh He was told by um, one of his superiors that that the FDA was in a collaborative relationship with the industry and that um, they'll find a reason to approve a drug no matter, you know, no matter what they can. And that the the consumers, the, the citizens of America aren't their client. The industry is their client.
3: they're the ones who pay the user fees and tobacco user fees make up a significant portion at this point of of the fda's budget um in in addition to what they get from the government but what was was the first question you asked about Um, oh fda not wanting to look bad and yeah i think Most of the commissioners. Well, the thing is, you know, the commissioners, if they make FDA look good and they make the president look good and they make Congress look good, they usually take on either they go to the pharmaceutical industry or they, you know, they're in politics back and forth in different agencies and NIH and all this other stuff. And by the time it comes out, by the time we get the numbers and see like, well, that was a mistake. Frankly, there's a lot of researchers saying, well, this other stuff happened. And so it wasn't all FDA's fault. And FDA didn't know X, Y, or Z. But also, by that point, there'll be plenty of pharmaceutical companies who have their own vapes. You know, there'll be the hail or whatever owned by a few people. They'll, you know, so, or there'll be some completely new technology and new thing to worry about. And no one will even ever go back and worry about it. Yeah. 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 I, there's very little um, culpability or, or accountability for that kind of stuff. After the fact, because FDA is very good at making itself look good. And everybody wants FDA to look good because it makes everybody's job easier. I mean, we, for heaven's sake, we have people now going back and relitigating alcohol prohibition and saying, well, it actually totally worked. Everyone says it was such a failure, but it totally worked in reducing
2: alcohol consumption. You're like, you right? Well, yeah. It's like it's like looking at at Massachusetts and how it reduced their flavor ban, reduced sales of vapor, of flavored vapor products. Well, duh, yeah. in Massachusetts, is you it know, really? it,
0: duh. Duh. It reduced all the legal sales. That's the sales right. on paper exactly. is what it That's reduced.
3: It I, I love it whenever I see. I saw that study. I laughed so hard when I saw it. I was like, yeah, totally worked in reducing legal sales of flavored vapor. And you're like, yeah, duh, <laughs> of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, Actually uh Alex if you if you could pull up that one part in uh in that Reason article Michelle this article is fantastic oh, you, thank you reason by the Both way of them but, are. uh <laughs> yeah I, obviously everything you write is fantastic we're just we're just blanket statement
3: thank you it's, it's
0: fantastic but this one paragraph really struck me uh because it just, just very sums very up so much um
2: this is C- the, in I, the, the, the yeah
0: it's in the how to fix it section keep going uh I don't know my my chrome didn't want to didn't want to share anything so Alex is uh acting here for me
1: 14 years <laughs> after, after leaving the, the FDA boss. was
0: that, uh, that Yeah that kind of preface it 14 years after leaving the FDA Williams looked into seafood related illnesses to see how the rule had been performed That's crazy. see how it performed he found that the cases of this uh had not have just the agency predicted they had doubled but this paragraph right here that you wrote I read this and I was like vocally I was like yes Michelle The cost of this fell entirely on consumers and small businesses, while no one at the agency paid for its mistake. Not the economists forced to produce erroneous cost and benefit estimates, not their bosses who compelled them to make analysis supporting predetermined policy agenda, not the commissioner who set that agenda, and not the politicians supposedly responsible for holding agencies accountable. There's no accountability it's yeah. us that pays the price
3: yes uh, every yeah. time yeah that's such said,
0: a whatever the next thing is that moves on it'll take the you know that'll that'll be the the big concern and we'll just move on we'll forget there's no accountability we move past it we carry on but the people are who are the people are the ones left behind dealing with that wreckage dealing with bad policies dealing with things bans poor regulations whatever the case may be um, and that that right there like struck a chord in me. And I, I was like I was reading this in the car. I had just come back from Buffalo. And I was like, yes, Michelle. yes.
3: Yeah. Even when they do get hauled into Congress. So sometimes Congress will be forced because there's something particularly embarrassing. Congress will be forced to bring in the commissioner for questioning, you know, at a hearing or something like that. Even when that happens, that retrospective, FDA already got what it wanted. In the case of the seafood rule, what they wanted was it was a fight between them and USDA. USDA was talking about instituting rules and the FDA wanted that power they didn't want USDA to step on their on their territory so they just put out something that wasn't that they knew wasn't going to do anything just so that they had the power over that part of the industry and I think the same is true with tobacco Commissioner Kessler didn't know what they wanted to do he just knew that they wanted to have power over the industry and so you know the rules we're dealing with now that vapor companies a an entirely different technology are dealing with now, were set by people who knew that they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know what they wanted to accomplish with tobacco. We have no tobacco. idea what they're
2: doing with tobacco. What they were doing and with now
3: they have copied and pasted that onto a completely different product that is used differently, that has different purposes. Uh, so yeah, it's even when someone is kind of held accountable by Congress, they're not really. They got exactly what they wanted already. the The game is over, even if they have to you know, hold their nose and talk to members of Congress in a public forum. Nothing happens. All those businesses were already destroyed. Although I will say after reading that book, Richard Williams book, I will never eat raw oysters ever again.
2: (laughs) I never (laughs) Never. could. We do have a question here from uh, from the chat. Damian Sweeney asks, I'd love to know why the most fervent opposition to tobacco harm reduction comes from politicians with a left-leaning ethos, but the same politicians almost always support drug harm reduction. Yeah, it's a very simple answer because
3: it's big tobacco, right? It's tobacco. Um, if, if and this, we were already starting to see this in the cannabis conversation, right? So the, there's a big fear about the Amazonification of cannabis, right? So it is a big business. Big tobacco is, is like functionally big oil. It is one of the biggest bads that um, left-leaning politicians can very easily point to to say, I'm fighting that. I'm fighting that on behalf of you, the consumers. I'm good, love me. Uh, so that's all it is. It's just... Uh, they are pitching this as a very black and white, big tobacco versus consumers. This is a ploy by big tobacco. It's not helpful. It's not harm reduction. And, you know, the public who aren't smokers, don't know smokers, don't really care about vaping all that much. They see the headlines and say, yeah, it's a big tobacco plot, fine. It makes sense that my politician that I like is fighting big tobacco, good for them. It's a very easy win for
2: politicians to say, I'm fighting big tobacco because everybody hates big tobacco. When you (laughs) said that, I actually pictured... This guy, this politician, picturing himself, hands on hips, cape flowing in the wind. <laughs> we've seen this multiple times over
3: the last years. We've seen we've seen them sit up there, you know, on their dais, and say it's like, real. "Oh, you're just a big tobacco," and we're we got to look out for the vulnerable people. That's what we're doing. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you first of all have no idea. You don't even know how to pronounce formaldehyde, so you have no idea what you're talking no. about. <laughs> um, but it's clearly just. I mean, just and unfortunately it's politics. That's what politics is. It's very performative. It's very much about getting yourself at the front of the hearing so that your constituents and potential voters see you doing stuff and they think they like what you're doing, what they think you're doing. That's pretty much what it is. And it doesn't really matter to the politicians or most of their voters what actually was done, like what actually happened. They just see my my senator and my representative seems to be powerful. They seem to be doing things that I like. I'll keep voting for them. And, and that's just how, how the political game operates, which is why it's really important for, you know, it's important for the public and really, really important. What we're missing right now is the journalism in the journalism space. I mean, we kind of we're starting to get it more with Filter and with Slate and a few other um, a few other outlets are starting to cover this. but what has happened in journalism has been so devastating to politics because it is their job to hold them accountable and say all that stuff you said was not true it didn't actually but what we have now is we have journalists who are receiving press releases from fda or attending you know pre-publication meetings with fda and fda saying you will only get to print this you do not get to check this with anybody and they're doing it shockingly they're actually doing it because they want to get out there first they don't want to be left out of the meeting. They want to be with the cool kids.
1: Yeah. Like yeah, closing they that, that nicotine sort of.
2: loophole, that nicotine <clears throat> loophole they had to uh, close every single, every, you know, with the synthetic nicotine that you two wrote about in the other article, which I just dropped in the chat. You know, every single media, except for, you know, like you or Filter or, you know, um, the Jacobs, uh, <laughs> they, they all said, they just passed it on. Yeah, this is a horrible loophole and we need to close it. And that was it. Yeah. And that's, that's the great racket is
3: that they create problems and then they solve problems with more legislation. You know, they created the synthetic nicotine problem, which is what I said, because, because the industry didn't see a viable pathway to do it legally. Right. And this is, this is always what happens when you're in the lead up towards prohibition is that everyone will try and comply as much as they can with the rules, because most people don't want to break the rules. But when it becomes impossible to comply with those rules and keep doing what you want, you know, in some form or another, that's when you start going outside of the rules. So, you know, the rules on the vapor industry right now, have, they've signaled that there is no real pathway. You, you can put millions of dollars into your um, applications. You can wait for years and it is just going to be a rubber stamped denial. So they're saying, "Well, why bother? Why waste that time and money? And we'll just try and find a loophole if we can for now, knowing that it will be closed eventually." But the idea that that there was just this loophole that they didn't think of and had to be closed—it would have never, ex- it wouldn't have been a loophole anybody would have ever used if there was yeah. a way for companies to to affordably and reasonably get their products to market legally. Right.
0: Oh, yeah, and, so and to to kind of just piggyback off of Damien's. Uh, comment question i think too with a lot of folks on the left there's there's very much a the social justice movement when it comes to drug harm reduction and people who use drugs and people affected by the war on drugs um but when when you look at you know that that same social justice movement around tobacco it's it's like flipped Mm -hmm. it's it's you know uh you know we're all victims we've all been you know uh the the marketing of tobacco companies has tricked our youth and has tricked all of us into these horrible things. And so you, you, instead you, you can't, you know, point, there is no big cocaine to go tackle down. I mean, there, there is, but it's not a a legal viable entity that you can drag into Congress or anything like that. So instead, you know, we're, we're kind of left with this, just like we're all victims. And so we have to tackle the big tobacco companies instead of You know creating better legislation creating these routes for uh legalization and marketplace and and really making change there it's just it just falls back to well you're all victims and we're gonna take on the big tobacco companies and like that's the solution and it's such a divergence in this this whole world of social justice and it's just kind of mind-boggling
3: yeah i mean i think the opioids is is one of the really interesting um parallels here because you had you do have a kind of big bad which is pharmaceutical companies in a lot sure, of ways yeah. and you have that but but the conversation about the opioid users and i remember seeing i think it, yeah it was a new york times headline a couple of years back where it was like and all of the pictures used of the opioid users were white people which i found to be very interesting like we need a gentler war on drugs for opioids and i was like that's interesting why do we need yeah. a gentler war now? Uh where you know, where was this gentler war with crack cocaine? That I cannot yeah. believe we are still a, a clear dog whistle, like a racist dog whistle. We're still talking about crack pipes today. I can't believe it. But no
0: you know, um Oh my gosh. You know how many I will tell you right now, I saw a lot of true colors fly.
3: Oh yeah, me too during
0: uh, uh during the whole uh crack clean pipe discords,
3: Even yeah. mm-hmm. so, with vaporage, yeah. Vapor, yeah, but- was, I couldn't. I was, I was really blown away. Yeah, it was really um, I was just, I just couldn't believe people unconsciously or just without thinking about it. We're talking in these terms today. I was like, yeah. if you You don't recognize what you're doing and how that might be seen as a throwback to the 80s. Uh, yeah, right. no, it's wild. But I just think like, with opioids, you had this. You had the pharmaceutical companies literally being dragged into court. For supposedly, you know, cause, you know, they're being used as the big bad for the opioid epidemic. But at the same time, you know, we're not just looking at opioid users as victims, but we are treating them as people and talking about harm reduction and giving them, you know, safer substitutes and clean, you know, um, safe spaces to inject and all this other stuff. It's, It's a lot different than when you look at people who use nicotine or tobacco, where you're saying like, well, at once you're a victim, but also screw you. You're already, you're a lost cause. We don't care about you.
2: (laughs) And you bother us. You only care about kids. Yeah. You put stuff in our space. Well, I was watching, I forget what, some show, I I think it was Manifest like last year. And some of the bad guys one season were people they just referred to as the meth heads. The meth heads. And I was just like, do they not understand?
1: Was was that an NBC show?
2: uh possibly i don't know abc sounds like an abc show <laughs> i don't know I, I don't remember but but it's not the first time i've seen that because i just saw something the other day too where they were referring to, to crackheads yeah so, oh, it, it's like, writers are always looking for
3: ways to very efficiently code someone as good or bad and again yeah, right yeah. because you, you only have so much time and you can't like you can't follow the bad guy around for a whole episode or whatever i mean you can if it's a well-written show but um you know, you got to code them really quickly. So drug user, you know, something like that dirty. Their hand, they're yeah. a douche. Well, that's the new thing, which is really interesting to me that I keep seeing. I watched a movie. Um, I think it was Cronenberg's son directed a film and it was a very interesting movie. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but the main character you know there were characters in the movie and there was so much vaping in the movie and i was like turning my husband i'm like this is wild you almost never see vaping anywhere and then i slowly realized that none of the characters who were vaping were particularly good
2: people i was like oh i get it they must be bad people you know
0: and like the only people you see uh ever smoking in any kind of tv show now are either the bad guys or like the guy who's been doing whatever he's doing for way too long. He's like, he's like the sheriff of the town who just doesn't, you know, he's been doing this way. Too. He's kind of a little good, a little bad. He's a little course, Cody, Like
3: those are, the are only tushy, Like, yuppie type? Like, yeah. you know, like yuppie. the only time recently I've seen it where it wasn't that, although I think it, originally it was intended this way, but the character was so good that it ended up not being this way, was in a sitcom called Catastrophe there was one of the main characters who played like kind of a rich guy was vaping throughout the beginning of the show. And I would have to go back to look and see if his, if they cooled it on his vaping as he became like a much more interesting and, a very good, like a good person. It was. It was beca- it became
2: clear that he was one of the best people on the show, uh, like not an a hole. Isn't uh, there one? Isn't there one where it's a female actress, normally a movie actress, and she? I think she plays a deputy or something. She, and she plays the be- mayor. Yeah, yeah. she plays mayor. A female, yeah. mayor. There was some interesting um, writing that, about that about the fact that she was vaping because I mean, just yeah, it, she just did it. It wasn't like nobody remarked upon it. Nobody. She wasn't a bad person. I mean, she was a flawed person, but you know. In a lot of cases, because of these tobacco control people, you can't, you can't smoke or anything and a lot of, you know, that's what they are trying to do with Netflix right now. And so vaping kind of became sort of a Yeah, I think what I was, think. was happening there, and so I think this, this actually represents an interesting
3: change, because prior to that, vaping was coded as like a rich person douchey thing and right. i think what they were trying to signal with her vaping was her you know working class look at this philadelphia working class type of mayor her very like down to earthiness they couldn't have her smoking so they had her vaping and I'm like that would be an interesting shift to have it be more the have vaping in media coded as a working class thing which would frankly be really good because a lot of the smokers are people who are lower income and, uh, you know, as somebody from the Philadelphia area, there's still a lot of smoking. So for, for them
1: to see, that, right?
3: to see that, to have people like that, people who are from that area and people who aren't, people who don't smoke or anything like that, seeing it this way is it is former, it is the people who used to be smokers, the people who would be smokers who are now doing this, if that being a good thing, uh, that, that would be a good thing, uh, I think, uh, a shift.
1: Whoa. There's there. Uh, I think it's the second season of True Detective on I mean, this yeah, is HBO. So not not everybody you know, has access to it. But um, the uh, the main character, the woman who plays the detective, uh, there is this progression at the beginning of the, the series. She's smoking. I think she smokes throughout most of it. Yeah. And then as she comes to a point of uh, there's there's something about her character that changes. She gets a little softer, a bit more enlightened, has, you know, obviously a more expanded worldview. And in that transition, she's vaping. So the series actually shows amazing. the progression. They use it as sort of a, a, a tool to illustrate good.
3: That's amazing. I wonder if that was something like the, the writer I know is, I wonder if, so I usually, when I see that stuff or I hear someone talking about it, I'm like, you must be an act, you must be a vapor or know, you
2: know somebody.
3: Someone switched from smoking, and you don't want to get on Twitter, you know, like some certain movie directors, and talk about how horrible it is or how good it is. But you kind of want to put it in there in your piece of art, which I think is, is fascinating. I'm gonna have to watch the second season now. <laughs> I think again, I'm I'm pretty sure whole, that's, that's the one.
1: It's it's the it's kind of the weird. The first one was really good. The yeah. second one was like. Okay, I'm going to watch all of this because I like. the
3: first one. <laughs> My husband really liked the second one because he, he said the same thing that everyone said the second one wasn't good. He really, really enjoyed the second season. He said it was
2: different, but he liked it. Hmm. But I think that's, that again, that's one of those things, and, it, and I think we, we're getting on an hour and a half now, but um, maybe this might lead into a wrap-up for you as far as the more that we got people to vape over the last 10 years, the more that we were tried to struggle, people just kind of kept holding. I mean, we've had apocalypses, we're vaping like four times now that this is it, this is the end and, and people would panic and you know, we just keep holding on, keep holding on, some people would just keep doing it and we slowly have built up that we wanted to get to a point where everybody knew somebody who vaped, you yeah. know, so that that would be that kind of attitude that people are like, wait, you know, I know they're saying this, but I helped, they help me quit, it helped my mom quit, it helped my kid quit or whatever. And it gets out into the media and stuff. And hopefully, and because a lot of that media is a little more left-leaning, hopefully that will influence that. And I guess that's going to lead to my question, unless uh, Logan or Alex have something else they wanted to ask, but what do you see happening now? What do you see what's going to go on with the FDA? Are they going to, are they ever going to, um, uh, authorize a flavor non-tobacco non-menthol flavor do you think are, are they are they going to keep working on trying to just destroy the industry is somebody reasonable going to get in there did did cahill cahill right commissioner Yeah. Did, did did he learn his lesson from the shellfish? You know, <laughs> so kind of kind of wrap it up. Maybe what do you think of, of with the, do you guys think that's an okay question to sort of wrap it up on and what she thinks of future I, with the I, FDA I, is or do you have another I, question? I,
1: I, I, well, I want to add to that because I, okay. I think, you know, it, 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 it's a good practice for us to get into. You know, we do a lot of bitching and complaining, but it's really good to start proposing some solutions here. And so right. that's that's really where I'm going with this. In, in addition to what Kristen's asking here is, um, you know, in, in a way, I'm just sort of glancing at the, the conclusion of your article here.
2: Right. That's what you I was. You know,
1: we, we're, we're sort of maybe putting a little a lot of this on the shoulders of the FDA commissioner. But, uh, you know, there is that need to encourage people from within the agency to be the whistleblowers. Yes. And so, I mean, is, is prote- I understand, you know, we have whistleblower protection laws in, in the United States. Or, okay, we don't.
3: Uh, no, we, do, we do, we do, but they just, it's not enough.
1: Not yeah. that great. So, is there anything we as the public can do to give these people a safe place to go, amplify their voices, make sure they're protected?
3: Yeah, I mean, protected, there's really, you know, I think whistleblowing. Honestly, a lot of the time, it's very self-motivated in that, like, someone's just pissed off enough. Someone is done, right? You kind of think about it when you're finally ready to quit a job that you formerly loved. It's like you've just had it, and you kind of want to hurt your employer. You kind of want to be like, "Screw you! I'm done with this." Um, so, I mean, it's you can't. I, it's hard to encourage whistleblowing because the, with the FDA, it seems to be such, and any of the federal agencies, it's such a career. It is such a lifelong, clubby. Uh, you know, if you if you play the game right, you'll be set for life with friends, with jobs, with whatever. You'll you'll feel good, you'll look good, and you'll get paid well. Uh, whether you're at that agency or another, you always have friends. If you turn your back on that, you are ostracized. Like in the truest sense of the word, you are locked out of your community. It's like being an ex-Mormon, right? You don't get to talk to your friends anymore. You Those contacts are gone. All of your support networks for your career are gone. So it's, it's a really difficult decision. Um, I think... Part of it would have to come from the government in terms of encouraging whistleblowing and saying that you will be one protected and you'll be two rewarded. And I think the public and the media also needs—that's where we can really help—is in the rewarding, and in the encouraging and be like, you know, whistleblowers. Usually, the first thing that happens is, um, you know, a campaign to malign the, their person to say like the only reason you're blowing the whistle is because X, Y, or Z. You know, you're just out to get somebody or whatever. But like one of the things that I've been talking about for years is having an award for people, researchers or, you know, members of government or whatever who change their mind, who say I was wrong, whatever it was, this sort of like, you recognize reality and did a hard thing by publicly saying you were wrong, (laughs) you should be rewarded somehow, if not with money, with, with, you know, credit from the public. Um, You know, will FDA ever approve a flavored vapor product? I think absolutely, absolutely, they have to, they they will be forced to, it won't start right away, they'll just try and do tobacco, maybe do some menthol after that, but as the black market, you know, as the illicit market for these products continues to persist and exist and grow, they will be forced to do that. Especially, you know, maybe they'll try and do it with prescription only for flavors or for certain nicotine levels, or it'll be just the pharmaceutical grade ones like Hale, you know, the ones owned by pharmacies, uh, pharmaceutical companies. But eventually they will be forced to approve them just because there's no way to stop this technology. It is not. It's too easy. It's there are too many people who know it. There are too many people doing it. And there it's too easy to replicate in your own house, like someone who literally just buy the ingredients for yourself and make it yourself. So they they will have to eventually be forced to do it by just looking at the reality. You know, there'll probably be a few more things like e-Valley with the THC, you know, uh, the THC vapes. Uh, the cannabis vapes, the, that might happen, and the FDA will try and say, well, this is why everything needs to be banned, but I think in a couple of years, that argument won't fly anymore. People will recognize that the only way to deal with the problems that are on the illicit market is to provide consumers with a legal, regulated market. That's it. That's what they like. That's what the like. Whether, when, No matter what the drug is, no matter what the product is, if consumers want it, the only way to make sure that they have a safe way to get it is to have a legal market for it. That's it. Yeah.
0: And I mean, the government is starting to recognize that. I
3: think they are. Um, I and mean, the DEA is pushing back so hard. Like all the yeah. old drug warriors, they want to hold onto that racket as long as possible. And of course, then the drug dealers, like the cartels, want to hold onto that as well. I mean, they're having a really hard time right now with American, the American cannabis um, industry being so good and so profitable that they're not making money off that anymore. P.S. If they're not already doing it, they are going to get into the flavored vapes game. Instantly, as soon, you know, because cannabis is no longer profitable for them. But
2: listen, this listen if think- the
3: uh,
0: if the if if the, uh, you know, cocaine and uh, heroin drug cartels make a hard right turn into flavored nicotine products, I'm not entirely opposed <laughs>
3: this is so um except for you know as
0: long as as long as we have a viable marketplace for those problems
3: in most of the drug conversation most of the drug debate you know you have big tobacco big bad guy pharmaceutical companies big bad guy cartels yeah i mean we talk about the cartels but they almost never talk about drug dealers anymore as being big bad guy because they recognize especially if it's something like cannabis that's used by a huge number of americans most people and honestly this is true of bootleg cigarettes most people don't view their dealer as a big bad guy. They view them as the awesome guy who gets them what they want. They're yeah. the purveyor of the market that they truly want. They may say like, yeah, I wish I didn't have to go to this person and I can just get it at a store, but they don't see them as a big bad guy. So like a lot of people think of the cartel, they don't think they're bad because they're selling drugs. They think they're bad because of all the other stuff they do because of the violence and maybe human yeah. trafficking, and stuff like that. Like the selling yeah. of the drugs part is, you know, they're
2: selling to people who want drugs. Well, it's also distant. The social justice thing is a big thing when it comes to the left and supporting the the, the drug, you know, going against the drug war. And we just recently had another, unfortunately, another black teenager tased by a policeman for vaping outside <laughs> in a park. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: and do you think that's going to do you think that'll bring people over from the left to be like, really, we got to relook at this. And why are we opposing things like vaping when people are getting When this is what these laws are doing,
3: it's starting to happen. It is, you know, I think, and with Bloomberg being in the space now in the in the drug space and which is a lot of you know criminal justice reform space. Frankly, those are two. There's a lot of overlap in those two spaces. I think there are a lot of people, personally, that I know who are in either one of those, either the drugs or the um, uh, criminal justice reform, who recognize what is happening right now with vapes. With tobacco, and has been happening with tobacco, that it is part of a drug war. It is it is drug war adjacent, if not part of it, or in an early stage. But they are not yet they they are not yet embracing the idea of getting involved or, or talking about it, partially because it's scary, because it is a tobacco is one of those things where if you come out in any way saying maybe we shouldn't do this, like maybe we shouldn't ban this or tax this or restrict this, your label is a shill. Uh, you know, you're just, you're in with the tobacco companies. You're probably getting paid by big tobacco somewhere. We know it. Or, you know, some really horrible racist comments that, that I've already seen made often by uh, people of the same race saying, you know, you're a traitor, this kind of stuff. So like it's very, it, tobacco is one of those issues. I know for researchers too forever, it is a very scary issue because if you say one thing wrong,
2: you're out. Like you're labeled and you're out. But what's crazy is, is that we also know that it's sort of self-medication for a lot of people with the nicotine. So if they do succeed in eliminating all tobacco, what do they think all these people are going to go use instead? Other oh, drugs. But yeah, no, that's that's the so other
3: thing. a few people have talked about this, that the importance of getting somebody like the National Academies of Science and uh, Medicine or NIH putting out a grant. To do one of those big studies about the benefits of nicotine, like they do, you know, the medical benefits of nicotine as they did with cannabis, because that study, you know, it was back in the 90s, I believe the first version of it, the, the medical benefits of cannabis was a lightning rod on the cannabis debate. It was the thing that really changed the debate. And that's when it became about medical cannabis first, because it's got medical benefits. And right. that, you know, that became the rhetorical, I mean, it was true. Obviously, it was true about the medical benefits, but it became such a powerful rhetorical device in the political debate about cannabis. And the minute that we need to have that happen with nicotine, one, because we know how extraordinary and what, what a variety of benefits there are based on the research we have. We just need a powerful and respected body, you know, funded by the government, to create a compendium of like what we know about the benefits right now, so that we can truly start talking about the medical benefits of nicotine as a self-medication. Not that it should be medicalized, you know, and put through like like with cannabis. You know, I, you know, I talk about this all the time too. Where I'm like, tea. I use tea, and we use certain foods like chicken noodle soup. It isn't a pharmaceutical, but it is a thing that we use to treat ourselves when we don't feel well. It's kind mm-hmm. of. The- Coffee when you wake up not feeling well. So like we don't have to medicalize everything, but we should recognize that medicine and therapy, you know, it it isn't always what we think it is, and it should be. We should allow people to use whatever it is they need to feel better and to function properly in this world because it's already hard enough. That's why I thought, whenever I see the moderate light alcohol, I'm like, it, life is hard enough. Can you leave people one <laughs> glass of wine
2: alone? Like right. Woman? one drink a night can you please leave them alone they've got enough to deal with <laughs> has anybody ever looked at that has anybody ever looked at the fact that as smoking rates have plummeted that where do those people turn to instead i mean i would suspect that my mom she quit smoking and she became obese you know and she was oh, yeah. on, and she was on a lot of antidepressants you yeah. know and nicotine actually she had um she had a gut problem that actually nicotine would have helped has been found to now help treat her with. And so I wonder about that. They never stopped to think about the consequences of that. You're taking away something that all these people are finding perfectly acceptable. I mean, my nicotine keeps, I have never had to take antidepressants. You know, I I got a little heavy for a while, but I never got as big as my mom did, you know, and, and but if they take my nicotine away, what? I, you know, now I'm going to have to take. Maybe that's what that's maybe, that's what they want. They want me to be buying my drugs from pharmaceutical companies that's FDA approved that possibly could give me a brain tumor like my mom had. You know, know that because there just has been a, there
3: been studies of you know very specific like irritable bowel syndrome or you know seizure sure. disorders that kind of stuff. But there, you know, no one is really talking about the the wider breadth of benefits. There have been some studies about about exactly what you mentioned is. Um, the likelihood of obesity after quitting smoking. I'm not sure if that's been done. I think there was a
2: comparison. level There was a
3: study, I believe, maybe one study I'm aware of where they did compare the weight gain of people who switched to vaping versus going cold turkey. Or yeah, users. I've seen
2: that. Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, no, I think once we have, once a respected government body or agency funded by a government body is putting out a like, here's what we know about the benefits, you will see more grants, you will see more interest, and being like, okay, maybe we should look at some of this and how people's you know when they quit vaping what happens you know what is because you know right now there's a big push for strategies to help youth or anybody else quit vaping which is good because there are a lot of people who truly do you know they wanted to transition from smoking to vaping and now they want to transition away from vaping and if they can do that without going to smoking great but we really do need to study at this point if that is what we're doing we need to put some money if we're going to be putting money into figuring out how to get people to quit we need to put some money into figuring out what happens to them afterwards like what? what are the effects of that not just that they quit nicotine yay i guess but like you know what is happening why were to- they doing it why were they doing it in the first place what is happening to their mental health what is happening yeah. to other aspects of their physical health exactly. exactly and it is a shame you know it's a, it's partially a shame because it's just a missed opportunity for the money grubbers like the money grubbing researchers out there you're like come on talk to NIH and say, look, I will study. This is important. I will study this thing for you. Give me money, please. Uh, so I, I don't know why they're not doing that right now. I guess all the money is still going towards studying the harms.
1: Well, yeah. you know, I, I we have seen uh, we're updating our timeline for 2021 and, and just going through some of the stuff that, that Kristen has, has collected, the news stories and, and research that came out. I mean, there are NIH studies out there. And uh, mm-hmm. they just don't receive the same fanfare as like all your kids are dying. So
3: oh yeah, never um, did.
1: But yeah. yeah so
3: so, in age, but yeah, I would really love to see the National Academies do a compendium, a big you know, it would take a few years probably to, to compile it. Just be like this is what we know about the benefits of nicotine. Now everybody else needs to go and figure out where we're wrong and where we're right and
2: in which forms it's best or not. I just hope it doesn't take them too long because a lot of people are going to die if they drag their feet on it. Yeah, here's the
3: thing: it probably won't happen here. It probably won't be the National Academies. It'll probably be somewhere in the UK, maybe New Zealand. You know, Um, we just need uh, someone to. We need one of the countries to do it, and I I, I mean, I'm shocked how in the U.S. we're looking at you know big government-funded studies. And saying, that's just five guys in a room after me. And they're just smoking and hanging out. And they just came up with this random number. And I'm like, whoa, I never would have expected American researchers to diss so hard, like another go- a respected you know, ally government like the UK. But like they are they are so desperate to discredit anything positive about nicotine or e-cigarettes that they're willing to go that far.
0: Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. All right. all right well we are uh we are here at uh, six o'clock on the east coast about a little over an hour and a half in uh alex does still have legislation for us to run through uh which absolutely after you know this you're you're more than welcome to stick around for current legislation if you'd like to michelle um but i would definitely like to personally say thank you for joining us and i'm sure Alex and Kristen feel the same way. And for everybody out there, uh, I, I have a ton of respect for you, uh, not only your writing and what you do, but also the way you, you speak to people, particularly on Twitter. I have watched you guys. I have watched Michelle uh, have conversations with journalists on Twitter and, and change their opinions. Uh, really, when it comes to talking to the public or, or just talking to people in general uh, about these sensitive topics, you have a way about you with connecting to people uh, and I encourage people to follow you and and watch the way that you speak about these things and watch the way that you approach people who have, uh, you know, differing opinions, um, because you you really do a, an amazing job. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. And thank you for joining us today. And thank you for, you know, writing all the fantastic things that you do and, and researching all the fantastic things that you do. You are a you're a, you're a treasure in this space, Michelle, so we appreciate you for and sure. We have
2: to have her back because an hour, even an hour and a half wasn't enough time. I could just pick your brain for, her. I'm sorry, I went an extra half hour that I should have, but I had a feeling we go a little long because you just have so much, you're just a wealth of information.
1: We uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be another, another. Uh, there will be several opportunities, I'm sure, to have you back on and something else that you've covered that that is super relevant to this because well,
0: well, that's been around for a while and we don't plan on going anywhere so <laughs> plenty of opportunities
1: in the future
3: please don't. I, I need you guys to like i'm in the process now of figuring out how i can track because there's so much happening in this space figure out how i can track it better and so right now i mostly just keep going to kasal's website like that's how i uh that's oh. how I get it. So, so please don't go anywhere otherwise i'll i'll be completely out of the loop on everything that's happening
2: that's good to hear i'm glad we're
3: good people are finding it useful
0: thank you so much
3: for having me on and all the kind words that I'm completely blushing from. (laughs)
0: Uh, But with that, um, yeah, everybody, please go follow Michelle. Uh, You are welcome to stick around if you'd like to, or this is also your opportunity to exit stage left. um, Yeah, I'm going
2: to go watch uh, the season two of uh, True Detective. There you you go. go. Enjoy. Thanks again, Michelle. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.
0: Thanks, Michelle.
2: Bye.
0: All right, Alex. That was awesome. Yeah, Michelle's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to say like my my first interview with Michelle years ago. I was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna be done with this in like a half hour, forty five minutes. Oh, no. That was my goal for interviews. And per, Kristen, I think yours and mine was one of the longest like two in hours. rise in babe history. It was like almost three hours or something.
2: Was so, it that hours. long? Oh my god! i to
0: do half hour interviews for this podcast. It's gonna go great. And my first one with Michelle was like an hour and a half too. So. <laughs> uh, she really is she's just a joy and she's a wealth of knowledge and I really do encourage people I've I've watched in real time Michelle speak to people on Twitter and have journalists go back and either make adjustments make edits retract things uh, you know she's helped change people's opinions on some of some of these topics as well uh, in real time uh, she just has a way about her about you know, speaking factually and compassionately and respectfully to people. Uh, And I encourage people to uh, to to follow that lead, especially on places like Twitter. But without any more hold up or or gushing over Michelle, Alex, I know you are ready. I'm not even going to ask you if you're ready. I know you're ready.
1: Let's do do the thing. thing.
0: Legislation. All right. What do you got for us this week, Alex? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on?
1: I'm going to keep this really quick uh, because I, I don't have to keep it quick. This is just what's going on. Um, so actually, I should go chronologically here. Um, Colorado had a uh, the uh, flavor ban bill in Colorado, uh, I think the next step that we were waiting for there was getting to the finance committee uh, and it has arrived. Um, This again, as we as we've noted with other bills going to finance committees, this is a money committee, so they're going to want to hear arguments about money. Our message hasn't really changed. Um, So people are, of course, encouraged to continue reaching out to members of the committee, their own lawmakers, tell your story and tell them to oppose HB 22-1064 in Colorado, uh, which would be a flavor ban. Um, And so this hearing is on Monday. Coming Monday, April 4th, 1:30 p.m. And that is House Committee Room 0112. Um, and yeah, that's the big update for Colorado. Um, still in the house. Uh, so there's you know many more opportunities uh to get engaged with this, but you know, why not go ahead and get engaged now? Um, and so yeah, Colorado. Uh we're we're going chronologically and alphabetically here today. Uh, the next wow, stop, achieving both. The yep, the next and final stop, uh, but by no means the last. There's tons of stuff out there. Um, this is just what's being updated this weekend. Uh, if you are in Rhode Island, uh, this is a continuation of an alert that we put out earlier. Um, uh, oh wow, did I just put this? Yeah. So it hasn't been that long. Uh, originally, uh, this was scheduled for a hearing. The hearing was canceled. Uh, I can just check my own notes here. Uh, So on the 27th, we put out our alert. The hearing was announced for the 29th. These bills were taken off the agenda. And now they have been moved to uh, a hearing on April 5th. That's that's Wednesday, right? Or Tuesday?
0: Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday.
1: I just did Monday the 4th. I should have remembered that Tuesday will be the 5th. Math. Um, These are flavor ban bills. Uh, And I know that there are probably folks in Rhode Island, I'm just assuming, uh, who think that, well, the Department of Health has already banned flavors, why should I care about this? Uh, Because getting things enshrined in the state code uh, is harder to change. Um, I don't know, you know, your Department of Health is really just a lot of unelected bureaucrats to begin with, so it's not like it's any easier to change the Department of Health uh, rule but um, there's really no reason to have this codified. So, um, and of course it is an opportunity for advocates in Rhode Island to stand up, make your voices heard. This is part of the debate and conversation that can bleed into changing the Department of Health rule. Uh, Perhaps if there is enough opposition to these bills in the legislature, it will motivate someone to make a change in the Department of Health. We already have had, we have already seen Uh, in the last year, a bill uh, is, I want to say, Representative Casimiro um, uh, introduced a bill to overturn the Department of Health's flavor ban rule. So this is all kind of part and parcel of the same effort to fix things in Rhode Island, opposing these bills, supporting a different bill to undo the flavor ban and putting pressure on the health department to align their policy more with reality uh, would be very helpful. So if you are in Rhode Island, the hearing is on Tuesday. Uh, the time is the rise of the house, which I I, I don't know that I can give a, a time for that. Sometimes it's 10 in the morning, sometimes it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Kind of depends on where you are and what their schedule is. Um, so even if you're not allowed, or even if you're not able or available to show up and testify at this hearing, uh, by all means, take advantage of our engagement and send your messages to lawmakers. Uh, and uh, if you wanna make phone calls to all you need to do to make phone calls is on our website, go to the, uh, no, it's not resources, get involved, legislator lookup, and it's a really simple form. Just put your address in. We're not collecting this information. You're not going to end up on a list somewhere. It's just, this is how you find your lawmakers. And, It will give you all the contact information for all your elected officials. It's very easy. Just take their phone number and you can use the talking points that we've provided here. Always put the talking points in and um, this is a really easy way for you to. It's not really a script. You're going to have to come up with some of your own words, but share your opposition to these flavor ban bills and any other legislation. Um, Just you know, you can read our list here. And, and and get your voice heard and phone calls do have an impact if really hearing a, a human voice on the other end makes a difference um but uh failing You're not that
2: a bot or a spammer then right yeah you and you know it, i i try
1: to a give uh email.
2: i try well, to I give
0: people advice when it comes to phone calls because i you know i i talk to people a lot about this who who are fine sending emails and whatever, but when it comes to a phone call, there's a lot of anxiety involved. There's a lot of, you know, I have to talk to another human being about this, you know, and and script it for yourself. Write up something brief that you want to say, script it for yourself, and know most of the time, whatever whoever you're contacting, your lawmaker, you're not going to speak to them. You're going to speak to an assistant. You're going to speak to somebody like that who just wants to make some notes about what your concerns are. Take your name, take your information, your general concerns, uh, and then that phone call is done. They, you know, when I make calls, they're they're three minutes, four minutes, uh, and I, I've never, I have yet to speak to Kristen Gillibrand or Chuck Schumer. You know, they're not answering my calls. Um, that that's just the reality of it it really isn't anything you know too wild i think a lot of people just work themselves up like oh i'm going to i'm going to speak to my you know uh my 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 lawmaker here i'm going to speak to my representative or something uh and, and chances are there's a really good chance that you're not uh and there's a really good chance too that it's just going to be you know maybe a voicemail message or something like that so script something up short and brief that conveys your message and I promise you it's over in a few minutes and it can really, truly make a world of difference. Like Alex said, when people can actually hear a voice or, or when your lawmakers are told, hey, we have people Calling, like I've actually spoken to concerned constituents of yours on the phone when they convey that message, that's gonna that's gonna hold some weight to it. So um, for people who are concerned, yes, maybe it can be a little nerve wracking. Maybe you know it's a, you feel a little anxious about it. But I promise you, it does make a world of difference, and it really is brief, and it's not uh, it's not as bad as you're making it out to seem. No, kind of I, it, it, really, just to add really to that, mad.
2: just to add to that is that it's it's. Because you're most likely passionate about it. I've found that when I'm passionate about something and that I remember that you know more than the person you're talking to about it. And I think that's one of the things that used to always make me afraid is that I go up to speak about something and it's like that you feel like you're going to be called out or you're going to look stupid or whatever we as advocates and you people out there, our audience are so much more educated on this whole thing than the people you're gonna be talking to on the phone. And that gives you a lot more confidence when you think of it that way, is that you know what you're talking about, you're passionate about what you're talking about. So even if you, and even if you get to talk to your actual representative, just remember that this person used to run a real estate company or a car dealership or had some kind of business that they were running um, or were an activist, they, they're just a person. they're not they're not super I mean, we know they're not super smart because just look at them on the floor where you're trying to testify to. They're just people, they're not they're not superhumans. So just remember they're just they're just people like you and they're not they' they're, they're not celebrities. I mean yeah, they get on the news and stuff, but they they're just people and they just kind of ended up on the news because of their job. And so it's don't don't be afraid of them and just remember that you know more than
1: what they do and with that i think that, we're uh, we're done that wraps it up huh
0: well you know what we were shooting for two hours and we almost made it but
1: <laughs> I, was for, I was shooting for 20 minutes ago so <laughs>
0: well, right. that, is, that is definitely gonna that is definitely gonna wrap it up this week michelle in chat thank you one last time uh for joining us today Uh, It was fantastic having you keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it for sure. And so does all of CASA, all 250,000 plus members of CASA appreciate you. And uh, that's that's a good segue into if you are not yet one of that quarter million plus people, I don't know, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. No, you're not doing it all wrong. But this is an actual fan. This is actually a fantastic opportunity for you to go join Kassat. Head over to Kassat.org. There's links all over the descriptions to these videos, as well as uh, in the SoundCloud descriptions and wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, but it's Kassat.org. It's absolutely free to join. Uh, and, and you know, all the good things that come with that, the the emails, the calls to action, everything that you can participate in. Uh, and, and Danielle will yell at me if I don't. If I don't talk about how fantastic and streamlined and wonderful our website is, along with all the, the, the great new designs we have for merch as well, it's a fantastic way to not only support CASA uh, and support tobacco harm reduction, but also to be that walking billboard for tobacco harm reduction. Uh, so that's a, that's a great thing that, uh, that we can all do. I, I need to get one of the new T-shirts. I still rock my old New York Kissah, my old New York Cassaw T-shirt, but I gotta get—I gotta get some new ones. I gotta get some new ones soon, so I can—I can be cool like everybody else here.
2: And Bye. the website's getting updated soon too. We're gonna to be revamping the uh, the whole legislative state page Mm -hmm.
0: things and a a fun little story before we go uh i get asked kind of all the time dms and social media and whatnot like logan what's going on what what can we do what can we as consumers do uh and and i had a conversation with somebody a little while ago who was like you know what we need we need a quick link easy way for people to look up who their legislators are and i just shot them the Casa legislator lookup (laughs) link and i was like here bro we already got it (laughs) man like of course Of course, it's right there. It's easy to share around. So all those resources that we have on Casa, please, if everybody's, you know, if you're ever asked, where can I get this? Where can I find that? Chances are we've got it at Casa. It's easy to find. Thanks to Danielle uh, and all the work that she's put into the site. So it's all there. It's all easily available to everybody. Uh, I agree. Er, Ern. I wish all websites operated as smoothly, as concisely. And concisely as the Casa website does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty slick site. If you guys haven't been there again, you're doing it all wrong. all <laughs>
2: wrong. Our are growing too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is where we're going to wrap it up this week. Everybody thank you to everybody who stuck around the extra half hour today. You're awesome. Um, I believe as far as I know, uh, same time, same place next week. I don't think we have any weird conflicts of conflicts of interest. I don't think we have any weird conflicts in the schedule or anything like that, but, um, we should be back 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on the other coast. I heard Alex say this on The Space this last week. You're all going to have to do your Google food for everywhere in between or the rest Google of the food. world. So uh, that's going to do it for us. Everybody, be excellent to each other. Remember that we are all Kassah, not just the the panel, not just uh, the board, but everybody. We're all Kassah, and we will, uh, we will continue doing what we do.